0: Welcome to a series of netcasts brought to you by Yale University. Yale Global Online is the flagship publication of the Yale Center for the Study of Globalization and explores the implications of the world's growing interconnectedness through people, products, and ideas. Iran's Global Ambitions, Part 1, by Yamshid K. Choksky, read by Patricia Alejandro. The firing up of Iran's busher reactor has provoked anxiety among Americans and Israelis. Yet a poll this summer by the University of Maryland and the Carnegie Corporation indicated that 77% of Arabs in the United Arab Emirates, Saudi Arabia, Jordan, Lebanon, Egypt, and Morocco believe Iran has a right to its nuclear program, and 57% see a positive outcome to Iran's developing nuclear weapons. Another poll by the Pew Research Center, while not as favorable for Iran, also found growing support. This shift in Middle Eastern perception is one result of the Islamic Republic's drive to expand its global influence. In his own words, Iranian President Mahmoud Ahmadinejad is trying to return Iran to its proud and great heritage of prominence on the world stage. His foreign minister, Manutra Motaki, claims that Western nations lack political maturity. They are referring to Iran's 2,500-year history, during which the Achaemenid Persian Empire ruled from the Indus River to the Aegean Sea. The Sassian kingdom divided up the Near East with Byzantium, and the Safavid kingdom split the Middle East with the Ottomans. Indeed, the president's chief of staff, Sfandiyar Rahim Mashadeh, brags that Westerners are most concerned about is Iran leading the world. Words are cheap, yet what Iran is doing warrants attention. Ahmadinejad and Supreme Leader Ayatollah Ali Khamenei schedule numerous annual meetings with African heads of state to consolidate Iran's growing role in that continent. Iranian officials extend development aid to poor nations there as a means of gaining support. So doing reduces hard currency reserves available to an Iranian regime already under considerable economic pressure at home after years of international sanctions. Yet pinching its own citizens to expand global influence is working. Sub-Saharan countries like Senegal increasingly regard Iran as a reliable partner. Iran has reinforced its links with Shiite militias and politicians in Iraq, so successful nation-building there requires Tehran's cooperation. Providing material support for Hezbollah in Lebanon and Hamas in Gaza gives Iran cloud among the Arab public. These actions have added to calls among Americans and Israelis for a military strike against Iran, a confrontation that Tehran's leaders cannot possibly win. Yet Major General Yahya Rahim Safavi of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps notes that Tehran's gamble is making Iran a great power in the Middle East. Not surprisingly, and contrary to their citizens, leaders of the UAE Saudi Arabia, Jordan, and Egypt, remain wary of a powerful Iran dominating the region. In Asia, Iran has focused attention on Tajikistan and Afghanistan, challenging Russian and American influences there. It initiated negotiations to lay a natural gas pipeline via Pakistan to India to become a major supplier of energy to South Asia, a scheme unlikely to materialize for decades. However, In the meantime, Iran, one of the world's largest exporters of crude oil, ironically has inadequately refined gasoline for its domestic consumption due to economic sanctions brought on by belligerents towards the West. Attempting to break U.S. and EU attempts to isolate it, Tehran actively courted China into becoming Iran's largest trading partner. South Korea, too, has begun to feel a need to position itself in a more neutral capacity toward Iran due to lucrative bilateral trade great deal of coating by the U.S. was necessary to convince Seoul to go along with sanctions. Ahmadinejad's government reckons that easing the West's economic stranglehold will alleviate the Iranian public's growing malcontent with domestic progress. Ensuring robust diplomatic, economic, and military ties with Latin American nations is yet one more aspect of the Islamic Republic's globalizing its influence. Venezuela, Bolivia, Nicaragua, and Cuba Forming alliances with Iran aimed at replacing U.S. visions of democracy and security. As part of Iran's adventurism in the Western Hemisphere, the IRGC engages in arms sales via its ally Syria to Venezuela and Bolivia. Now it spans that activity by sharing weapons know how and the finished products with many other developing nations. Such hard and soft power expansions fill well. Into Iran's long-term scheme for reshaping global actions and shifting international priorities away from those championed by the U.S. and its allies, plays upon a popular third-world theme that the dispossessed should unite, irrespective of religion and ethnicity, against the world's superpowers. Iran has actively nurtured its influence within the Group of 15, or G15, now numbering 17 member states from Africa, Asia, and Latin America, The group's 14th summit was held at Tehran in May 2010, with Ahmadinejad presiding over the meeting. He used the occasion to build bridges of cooperation while championing opposition to the U.S., the EU, and Israel. The non-alliance movement, or NAM, with its 118 member states, occupied Iran's attention too. When NAM's foreign ministers met in July 2008, Tehran took center stage at Soho City. A public statement by the attendees lent support for Iran's nuclear program. In June 2010, the NAM even praised Iran for its cooperation with the IAEA, or the International Atomic Energy Agency. The NAM's NET Summit will be held at Kish Island in 2012, where Ahmadinejad will assume its secretary-generalship, giving the Islamic Republic of Iran another global platform despite having only a nascent space program. Iran chairs the UN Committee of the Peaceful Uses of Outer Space. It's stockpiling of chemical and biological weapons notwithstanding. Iran holds the vice chairmanship of the UN Organization for the Prohibition of Chemical Weapons. Iran has also steadily acquired seats on the boards of other UN agencies. Those organizations include the Office of Drugs and Crime, the Commission on Science, Technology for Development, the Development Programme, the World Food Programme, the Environment Programme, the Children's Fund, the Commission on the Status of Women, and the Office of High Commissioners for Refugees. Iran seems to be wagering the leadership roles in these international agencies will eventually translate into perceptible power. In dealings with the UN Security Council, Iran offered to does gain tangible victories by dividing Russia and China from the three other permanent members namely the U.S., Britain, and France. Russia's loading of fuel into the Bushehr reactor is a stark example of Iran exploiting superpower rivalry to achieve its goal of producing nuclear energy, despite Western objections. Through negotiations, Iran also has gained cooperation from the security councils, non-permanent members like Turkey, Brazil, and Lebanon during nuclear and sections deliberations. Within the context of its overall global expansion, Atomic energy provides Iran greater visibility as a limited number of nations possess that capability. Ali Akbar Salehi, director of Iran's Atomic Energy Organization, now claims his country is attempting nuclear fusion. Having not yet achieved fission, Iran is far from assembling a hydrogen bomb. An Iranian leader's willingness to share nuclear knowledge and technology with other developing nations will further undermine the Non-Proliferation Treaty, while enhancing their own influence, if other recalcitran regimes like those in Syria and Myanmar accept the offer. Indeed, Syria is suspected of having collaborated with Iran on such an endeavor at the Al-Khibar facility, which Israel bombed. Not surprisingly, and despite growing internal unrest, Iranian leaders feel confident in challenging the world's greatest powers. Through words and deeds, Iran's pursuit of global influence is multifaceted, targeted, and well underway, it should be taken seriously. Yemshid K. Chotsky is a professor of Iranian Islamic and International Studies and former director of the Middle Eastern Studies Program at Indiana University. He is also a member of the National Council on the Humanities at the U.S. National Endowment for the Humanities. The views expressed are his own. This and other Yale Global articles can be found at yaleglobal.yale.edu.